I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. On the show tonight, we'll talk about the legacy of Dr. King by talking with Nubia Pena, Senior Advisor on Equity and Opportunity and Director of the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs. With the Dr. King holiday this week and the Utah legislature beginning its annual session, perhaps we should meditate on this quote from Dr. King, one of my personal favorites. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And Dr. King wrote that from uh, from the Birmingham jail, April 16th, 1963. Wow, it's, it's so powerful. So joining me, we have Laura Jones on our first segment today. What's up, Laura? Hey, uh, we got this legislative preview coming up, then really excited to share that conversation we recorded with you and Nubia Pena right before the Dr. King holiday. I wanted to remind folks, COVID is still very active in our community. Please do what you gotta do to stay healthy. If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated, get boosted, um, wash those hands. And of course you can sign up for free uh, home testing. I love that, I love that. What is it, the USPS giving away masks now? Yeah, yeah, so let's see. The address is special.usps.com slash test kits. We'll put it in the show notes. I actually got one of those home test kits when I went and got tested a couple weeks back, I was concerned and it was a really long line and they came down the line and said, hey, you want a home test kit? You can skip out of this line. Now, mind you, I'm not that convinced of how uh, good they are. <laughs> Don't take a negative, especially if you're feeling bad, running a fever and all that as a negative, you might need to go and get the PCR test, right? Yeah, we, we're we fortunate. I, I will say what, I, like, I'll say this, Laura, being in Utah, we are fortunate than most because we can go, what we've been doing, if if things feel awry, we're not feeling great, we'll go to IHC. IHC and uh, pick up, they have it. You can just pick up a test, drop it off, do you know, do your little spit drop and, and just get it, get it going. And a couple of days later, you find out whether you're positive or negative. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here having friends across the country or they're just at a loss, you know. Everybody, there's lots of resources. Coronavirus.utah.gov for the latest stats vaccination clinics and testing sites and uh, do what you got to do so we can uh, get over this and get get beyond it and uh, you know it affected Sundance and we were starting our team coverage I got a little conversation I'm going to drop in here with top five with the top five picks from Eric P. Nelson part of the radioactive Sundance team coverage here we go always good Sundance coming up starting on the 20th and our team coverage begins tonight Eric P. Nelson checking in. Hi, Eric. How you doing? I am doing very good. Very excited for this thing to 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 be happening. Actually, you've got the snack shack and Sundance screening room set up at uh, at uh, Shay Nelson. It is back in action. Yep, back in action. I got a little fireplace in here this year. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting back in the shed. So we have a Sundance page on our website under Community Affairs. We've also bumped it out into the top navigation, so you don't have to hunt for it too much. And we're going to try and remember to cross-post to our social. But Eric, what are your top five? Um, still top of my list is this Bill Cosby documentary. Ooh, it's got you intrigued. It is. I mean, I've had so many conversations about Cosby over the years. And someone finally put together a, a documentary of about it and i was excited to begin with and then i learned it's kamal bell kamal bell united shades of america exactly and like if if there's anybody that's gonna make make this documentary it's gonna be kamal bell and it's gonna be good I, i'm 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 just so excited to 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 watch this one it's titled We Need to Talk About Cosby premieres premieres January 22nd. And again, everybody, if you haven't heard, the Sundance Film Festival is now entirely virtual. Thanks, COVID. Yep. <laughs> what else is on your list? Uh, still kind of in that comedy vein, the new uh, Lucy and Desi. Lucy and Desi, the new documentary uh, directed by Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler's directorial debut. So I'm excited to see the film. And I'm really excited uh, about the Q&A afterwards uh, to, to just kind of hear Amy Poehler's side of things. All right. Those are two. You got three more to share. Speak no evil. I think the rest of these are in the midnight category. That's what I like. The late night weird ones. 
but it's a uh, it's kind of a a family vacation, uh, a wonderful family vacation. You meet up with another wonderful family, and you say we should get together again, and you do, and then things go weird. And I'm not sure how, sure how weird it's gonna go, um, but I, I am I'm excited to watch it. The Midnight is always it's a crapshoot. Some are great, some are forgettable, but uh, this one is just kind of how far can your niceness go when you keep saying yes to things? What kind of trouble can that get you into? That's very Utah. Yeah. This this is a cautionary tale then for people in Utah. All right, you've got two more. Am I okay? What's this one about? This one kind of came a little bit after because I remember hearing a, a bits and pieces about this, but this is uh, Tig Notaro, comedian. And her wife, Stephanie Allen, also a comedian, um, put together this movie. Um, so I, I wasn't aware of that. And then I started actually digging into Sundance and reading through things. And I said, Tig and Stephanie have a movie? It seems like it, it's very parallel story to, to their lives. Um, late in your 30s, having kind of a, an awakening, a, a, a different sexual awakening um, and trying to figure out what that means when you're already in your thirties. Um, and it's kind of the story of Tig and Stephanie. Um, Tig's documentary from Sundance a couple years ago kind of chronicles that. Um, but it just sounds, it, it's, it's Tig Notaro. It's gonna be good. I'm very excited. Um, St. Vincent did the music for it. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm excited for that one. Lastly, Piggy from the Midnight category. This one has really caught my eye too. Sometimes you go by a picture. I'm like, yeah, I'll go see that one. But it's also, you read a little bit into it, and it just seems, it's kind of a, a bullying tale. Um, but then someone else that you don't know takes care of that bully for you. And like, to what lengths do you go to to keep that a secret? Do you protect that person? It seems like a very, a, a, a nice twist on kind of an old horror genre revenge tale. This is when you don't play a part in it, what kind of part do you play in it? So it, it looks, it looks super interesting. Again, part of the midnight category. And those are just Eric P. Nelson's top five. We're going to get more from our team coverage as the days roll on here towards Sundance, which starts on the 20th. And again, it's virtual. So in a certain sense, I think that opens up the opportunity for more people to see things as we've seen over the last year or so of Sundance pivoting, Eric. I'd say sign yourself up for a free count and the ASCAP Cafe, all the musics will be available to everybody. There's free... Uh, there are um, locals only screenings um, that are at no cost to locals. So um, sign up for your account. That's how you'll have access to all of that stuff. It's going to be posted at krcl.org. Stay tuned for Sundance the 60s. We'll let you know what's coming up, what films are available for those locals only screenings. Um, and, and just everything Sundance. Stay tuned. Check krcl.org. We have a Sundance tab. We're also going to cross post on social media. He's going to be giving you some updates, some Sundance and 60 as we move forward. Rashawn, that's rallies and resources. I love it. Uh, Eric never, Eric never fails. He never, he never lets us down, Laura. He's always on point. Well, what about Cosby? He's going to be one of the biggest films. I uh, know. Well, it's going to be interesting. There's a, there's a lot popping off. There's a lot. It's been a, it's been an eventful, eventful year, year and change now. So I'm, I'm, I love how it bleeds into our, our, our movies and our documentaries. As we know, Laura, today is opening day of the 2022 general session of the Utah legislature. And for the next, what, 45 days, our elected representatives will be making and unmaking laws that affect we, the people. That's right. We're going to start marking our, our time here on Roundtable Tuesday. I think that's great. So day one. All I got to do is add seven every time we meet, Rashawn, and I'll be able to tell how many are left. But as part of our commitment to covering all the action of the People's House, we're going to amplify the voices of nonprofits and citizen lobbyists throughout the session, providing ways for you all out there to get involved. So tonight, we've got the ACLU of Utah and the League of Women Voters of Utah with us, too. Let's dive in with Katherine Weller, co-president of the League of Women Voters of Utah, Deborah Case, Legislative Action Corps Committee co-director, and we've got Jason Stevenson of the American Civil Liberties Union of Utah with us too. 
So, Catherine, let's start with you. What are you excited about? Oh, well, it's kind of weird, but I'm always excited about the session in general. Um, interesting things happen. It's a very dynamic time, and you never know what's going to crop up. So it's a good time. What I'm excited about this year is I am excited about Senator Lesser's, the league is excited about Senator Lesser's bill to remove the sales tax from food and groceries that are used to prepare meals. Um, this is something that comes up periodically, and this is something we've been talking about for decades. It's about time it happened now. So we will be following and supporting that um, very strongly. But Catherine, I just want to break in because there's a wrangling over how to do this. The Cork Coalition of Religious Communities came out at Thanksgiving, I think, and said, we're pushing for this again. Utah's got this big surplus. And then the governor and the legislature, they want to do it with sort of rebate kind of things. So this is going to be an interesting fight, right, Catherine? It is going to be interesting. And our strong preference, uh, we are siding with Cork on this. The strong preference is that this be done with a repeal of the sales tax, uh, turning a, it into a tax rebate or a tax credit does not traditionally work for the populations who need it the very most for a number of reasons, including the fact that they may or may not file taxes, they don't have sufficient income to do that, and because of a lack of awareness that the benefit is out there that they could get a credit. So the best thing to do is to simply repeal the sales tax on food. We can get that income from somewhere else. Catherine, beyond sales tax on food, what are you looking at? Of course, we're watching for any voting legislation. Right now, most of the legislation that we're, the proposed legislation that we're seeing is mostly cleanup bills and those mostly cleanup bills we support. But we are watching for uh, any legislation that would repeal or roll back the election systems that Utah's Utahns have enjoyed for years safely and securely. You know, the League of Women Voters just did a study on elections procedures in Utah, and it is impressive what the county clerks do to ensure secure elections. Uh, you know, Laura, that there is right now a um, initiative out there that is gathering signatures that would try to roll back nearly every voting advancement we've seen in the past couple of decades, at least. Yeah, we've led the country, Rishon, in early voting, expanded voting, uh, vote by mail, Rishon, and here we are in Utah, where you know it's a super majority, and they want to roll back, and there's no problem. I, I just I was just going to say that, Laura, it, it baffles me because I think when you look at Utah overall, and I've only been here 11 years, but I feel like we've done a great job as far as mail in voting. I feel like we were the ones who really were setting the bar across the across the nation. And then all of a sudden it becomes a, an issue with the you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, it it's become an issue with 45 and now all of a sudden it has become a larger issue. And I don't know if we've seen if we've seen the data in Utah to make it sound like there's a larger issue. There is no issue of security. You, and the legislature has agreed over and over again that there is no issue with security. This is merely an effort to re roll back modernizations in voting. It goes so far as to insist that voting happen in precincts and at and counting happens at the precinct level on paper ballots. No voting machines, hand counts. No security issues there. No, nothing, nothing to be found here. All right. And I, Jason Stevenson of the American Civil Liberties Union or ACLU, as we all lovingly call them, I want to bring you into the conversation. You have any concerns here? What are you guys talking about? What are you seeing? Sure. Let me let me jump right into voting uh, at first, because that's something that we knew was going to be a target based on what's going on nationally, what's going on in other states. And I agree with Catherine in the league's opinion that so far what we've seen have been cleanup bills, bills to actually kind of address some of the nuts and bolts issues of making sure that elections work better in Utah, because we know they work, but you know we're not opposed to making them work a little bit better too. And we're, we've been blessed to have some incredible elections officers 
um, both in the staff and in the Lieutenant Governor's office, who've really been pushing this idea of making, making it easier for more people to vote in Utah. And that's really what we're all about. We do think that there could be some bills that we haven't seen yet that are gonna try to upturn the apple cart a little bit about voting in Utah. Um, and so we are being vigilant. We're gonna watch carefully. We know that this legislature likes to come out with bills at the last minute, in the dead of night, trying to push them across the finish line. And uh, we know the league and, and the, a coalition that we all belong to um, are going to be very vigilant about that. As Jason just said, Lots of bills haven't been published yet. They're still rolling out. Sometimes they drop in at the last minute. So at this moment, we are watching the bills publish each day on the legislature's website, le.utah.gov, where one can access the bills and look at them. So there's the removal of the sales tax from food items. There are in our, our platforms that we watch um, on social welfare and meeting, meeting basic human needs. We'll also be watching and supporting Representative Daley Provost's end-of-life prescription amendments, HB 74. There are a number of bills cropping up in natural resources, and the League has um, a lot of interest and action that will happen around environmental protection and pollution and climate change. We're watching some of those and watching the shape of them now, um, including some potential amendments that will be coming up. There's one that uh, Representative Joel Briscoe dropped uh, during the UCARE meeting. Uh, was it last week, mm -hmm. Rashawn? And uh -huh. it's to make UTA free. Now, nothing's free, but if UTA was free, what would it look like during our inversion today to have everybody hopping on mass transit instead of firing up their own carbon mobiles? What do you think, Catherine? What's the league position on that? We would need to read the bill, of course, uh, first, but on the face of it, it's absolutely something we can back because clean air and a healthy environment is extremely important to the league. We're also watching a published bill that would allow for a cause of death to be air pollution, a secondary cause of death that will go on death certificates so that we can begin to really see and count impacts. If we're willing as a society to say that, and that's going to be another cultural fight, I guarantee you. That will be a cultural fight. Right. I mean, it's interesting, though, because if we're talking about air, we're talking about health quality. And and I'm I'm definitely interested as somebody who, who takes UTA and takes front runner a great deal. Ride your bike everywhere. Right. And I take my bike everywhere. But my AP government teacher, he told me years ago, Laura, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Nope. And so we know someone's paying that. So I'm very interested mm. to see how this plays out. Here's something that I want to pull out. And as we bring Deborah Case in here, Rashawn, uh, Legislative Action Committee co-director for the league, is how the league works. Very much citizen lobbyists and watchdogs. Right, Deborah? Oh, definitely. I mean, we work as a team. I think I was mentioning to someone else because the legislature seems like it can be so daunting. But it, when we have a group of active, passionate women that are working at, at this, it's kind of like, um, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So when we work together, we're really able to accomplish so much more than we would individually. So in the past, Wednesdays at the Capitol, you'd brown bag it, meet up, kind of rehash what's been going, keep an eye on uh, the forecast or the schedule for what's to come. How's that going to work during our ongoing pandemic, Deborah? Well, that is correct, but we have moved the days to Thursday. So this, this year, it's going to be Thursday. Now, um, the general session is a 45-day um, event, of course, and so that spans seven weeks. So we have scheduled meetings for each one of those seven weeks. So every Thursday from 12.30 to 2.30, we're going to be holding a meeting. And in order to handle this with this uh, new pandemic uh, regime over the uh, summer time, we started implementing a new system so we can do a hybrid version. This way we can be at the Capitol and have access to all the, the, the Capitol meetings and the resources there and be live and in person at, at the Capitol in room 105. However, we're also doing Zoom simultaneously so that we can have our remote visitors come and attend uh, virtually. All right. So this allows so much more flexibility and opportunity to us. 
Number one, of course, it's going to keep people a little bit more COVID safe and friendly, but um, it's also going to allow our reach uh, for our members because people have busy schedules, whether it be work or other, or just distance that make it difficult to come all the way to Salt Lake City. So this way we are a little bit uh, more flexible. So whether it be COVID or other personal reasons, people from different areas can come to the legislative action um, core and be part of the meeting. Rashawn, um, one of my favorite things about the legislative session, which has nothing to do with lawmakers, frankly, is groups like the ACLU yeah. and the league and the bill trackers, because it gets really hard to eat that elephant <laughs> if you're just one person trying to eat the whole elephant. So being part of these groups or following their bill trackers, Rashawn, becomes this real tool. And I've got them all as I get them updated on the go vote page of krcl.org under the community affairs tab. So, I mean, Laura, you put up a great point. So, so Deborah, for the people listening at home, how do they track that? Because I mean, I, you know, not everybody has a Laura Jones at their disposal, you know, <laughs> so I, I'm looking at the bill trackers. I have both, both the leagues and ACLU, but how do, how do our listeners at home really follow in to see what's going on, see what's trending and things of that nature? Well, we have, we have our own bill tracker that we, we have on our website, the League of Women's Voters Utah. So we have that, we have that updated with the things that we are, uh, we are following. So that breaks it down quite a bit in numbers. Okay, so we're not looking at the whole big spectrum because that is, as I said, overwhelming to look at. Now, if you, there are things that are of particular interest to you individually, you can go to the um, LE Utah, uh, get it wrong, that the le.utah.gov. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can go there and you can track those individual bills right there. And you, can, you will be updated on any time anything is changed on that. So if you have a particular topic and you want to follow that particular bill, you can sign up for that. And every time anything changes on that, you will be updated automatically. So that is a great way for specifics. But that's also one of those things that um, we really uh, one of the reasons that we have the legislation legislative action core is because we want to stay updated and it is so overwhelming. So we have our bill tracker. And then in these weekly meetings, we get together and we talk about what's going on in each one of these different committees that we're following. So that way we're feeling like we're very updated on different things that we might not have the time to attend these meetings to learn about. Thanks, Deborah. And again, I'll put links every time we have a show. We always do a great show post with links to the organizations, the folks, the things that they're doing. And I really love the league's bill tracker because they break it into categories, voting rights and election process. They're already tracking nine bills or resolutions. So if you're thinking, how do I find this? You can go to le.utah.gov your tax dollars at work, sign up for an account. It doesn't cost you anything. And you can sign up for text or email alerts. You can drop in and listen live and go back to the archive later. So much is at your fingertips, folks, to get involved at whatever level you want. And I'm really curious now to go over to Jason Stevenson. Sean? You know, that's where I was going, Laura, because I just, so Jason, we got to transition to you because I was opening the, I want to say it was either today or yesterday. And I saw that they were talking something about the death penalty. Uh, that was a big one. So what are you all tracking for the, as far as the ACLU is concerned? Thanks. Uh, so we are looking at 10 big categories. Uh, we tend to do that. We tend to create these buckets and then see which bills fall into those buckets. That keeps us from getting distracted um, and kind of chasing bills all over the place. And so we're working in these 10 categories. And one of them is replacing the death penalty. Every couple of years, this comes up in Utah. We feel that we have a real strong bill this year and a real strong approach um, to end the death penalty in Utah um, and make us, I think it's the 26th state in the union to, to no longer have capital punishment. And, and the bill is really unique this year because we're not just removing the death penalty, but we're actually adding in a new penalty um, that prosecutors can use to secure plea deals. Because let's be honest, not only does the death penalty not work and it's expensive, but it also is generally used as a way to leverage plea deals out of defendants. And so by creating a new category of 45 years to life, which is a long time, um, prosecutors can, can get those plea deals without having to gamble with capital punishment um, and end up with more people on death row. And to be honest, most of the people on death row in Utah are dying of natural causes. They're not dying because of the capital punishment and it puts those families um, on both sides of the issue through a lot um, that they really don't need to go through. 
And, and one of the, the things we have going for our replacing the death penalty bill this year, the sponsor is Representative Lowry Snow from Southern Utah, is that we have the uh, sister of one of the victims in the, um, the, the Lafferty murders back in the 1980s here in Utah, um, uh, who is actually very strongly you know, advocating for replacing the death penalty. Um, so she is you know, a family member of someone who was killed and had uh, those people on death row. Um, and, and she says the death penalty has not served our family well. Uh, we think that this should be should be removed from the laws here in Utah. So it's got a lot of momentum. We'll have to see what happens. Um, it, it's uh, definitely stronger than we've ever been um, in this department, though. There's a couple of things that I think dovetail um, from current events, Rashawn, and the ACLU's legislative priorities, in particular, preserving the First Amendment rights in Utah's schools. And I'm thinking of the announcement, was it just yesterday on the lawn of the Capitol about a new bipartisan Utah Diversity and Inclusion Commission made up of lawmakers to set standards for diversity and equity curriculum, Rashawn. I I have so many mixed I mean, it sounds good. It, like So it's one of those things that I, I'm really interested to see how far they're willing to take it, who's on it, who's going to be doing the study. Like it's because, you know, these are the same people who, what, a couple months ago were saying that they didn't want, you know, critical race theory, but also didn't know what critical race theory was. So, you know, it's it's there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there, Laura. Yeah, so, Jason, what's the stand? You know, that's something that's so new that we are just investigating ourselves. The, the first question on our, our shared email serve this morning was who's on this committee? you know, or this commission. Uh, and, you know, we know who the co-chairs are. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we're all um, justifiably a little bit skeptical based on recent history. Um, and, you know, based on when lawmakers get involved with things like this, right? Like we, we want professionals to be handling curriculum. We want teachers to be delivering that curriculum. What we're focused on in K-12 issues this year is what's going on with textbook and book censorship. That runs squarely into the First Amendment. We've seen that blow up in Utah and across the country. Um, and so not only are we pursuing things sort of in our traditional um, legal and policy realm, but we're looking at the legislation that's coming up on Capitol Hill. Um, there's a couple of bills that we haven't seen the text for yet, but based on their titles, you can kind of read the tea leaves and understand that, ooh, there's something in there. Um, and so we're, we're, we're getting ready. Um, you know, we know where the First Amendment stands. We know what it allows, what it doesn't allow. Um, and we're going to stand up for it when these bills come together. And, and we have a history of telling the lawmakers, hey, that's unconstitutional. You could get sued. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Hey, Rashawn, last time Ty Bellamy was on your night here, made some news towards the end of the conversation about her plans for uh, folks who are unsheltered and where she might take the next community camp. And I think this might be on the ACLU of Utah's list as well. Well, I think so. I'm, I'm interested to hear what Jason has to say, though. Yeah, I've, homelessness is an issue that strikes not only, you know, municipalities are certainly hit, um, but the state has been, got an increasingly big role here. I think the big thing we're going to see is actually something we don't deal with a whole lot, which is money for housing. You know, that's not in the Constitution. There's no amendment that talks about, well, actually, you can't quarter British soldiers in your home. Amendment three. So yeah, but we haven't had that problem for about 250 years. So we're, we're okay with that. Unless you see any red coats, let us know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the housing is going to be a lot of money and a lot of sort of priorities there. But what we're looking actually at is a bill that would create a, uh, a bill of rights for unsheltered people um, to really bring out this idea that when you're dealing with policing, when you're dealing with um, uh, you know, the way the law is applied, whether it's jaywalking or public intoxication or any other of these, what we would call misdemeanor or nuisance crimes, um, to make sure that these are being applied fairly across all neighborhoods, across all cities, um, and in between cities as well. Uh, so this is a, a bill that we still are working on. Um, it probably won't be a bill. It probably will be more like a resolution, but something to bring this up and, and make it uh, uh, make it, you know, more more visible and, and a, certainly a bigger part of this conversation. Jason, if, if anybody listened, wanted to track the bills that the ACLU were paying attention to, where would they find that? And how do they, if, uh, is there like a text alert or anything like that they can sign up for? Yeah, so there are text alerts that you can sign up for. We actually, uh, one way that we're going to mobilize our supporters to get involved, you know, things happen fast at the legislature. You know, there's a hearing 
at 24 hour notice and then bam, you know, they're talking about it. So we're using text messages to, to get people motivated. You go to our website or go to our social, social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. Um, they're instantly, you'll figure out how to sign up for those. We're plastering it all over the place. In terms of the bills, I'm actually working on it right now, going through a bill tracker and updating it because, you know, they're coming out a dozen or two dozen a day new stuff. And so we are going to create a public uh, bill tracker on our website, um, where which we update with notes about what's going on. We've got some new software that will enable us to do it because it's kind of tricky. But broadly, we're going to be looking at those 10 subject areas, which are also posted on our our website. These are our priority areas, everything from what I've talked about with the death penalty and uh, supporting the rights of unsheltered people to looking at protecting transgender youth um, and improving cell phone data privacy and just trying to keep the legislature from expanding the number of um, uh, offenses and increasing the penalties for certain criminal acts. You know, it, it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm going to bump this from, you know, a class C to a class B misdemeanor, you know, make things worse. Uh, and make things harder on people. And the ACLU is always opposing. We just think we think expanding penalties and expanding punishment just isn't the way to improve our criminal justice system. So that's another big priority. We've got a lot of bills fall into that bucket as well. I love that. Well, I'll tell you what, Jason, Deborah, and Catherine, we'd love to have you back to to update our listeners on the people's business. We are looking forward to having a league back at least once a week and bringing in other nonprofits like the ACL of Utah, ACLU of Utah for, for updates throughout. And thank you so much. Check tonight's show notes, everybody. We'll put links to the things we talked about, the bill trackers and uh, how to sign up for text alerts. And at the very least, if you're thinking, okay, where was that? It's on the Go Vote page at krcl.org under the Community Affairs tab, a whole collated list of more than a dozen uh, nonprofits and their bill trackers and what they're up to during the Utah legislature. Thank you, everybody. Thank you all for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Laura, nice to see you, Jason. <laughs> when we come back, Rashawn Leak talks with Nubia Pena. Utah has more than 10,000 nonprofits, like Women of the World, which needs practical English volunteers and mentors. You can help forcibly displaced women make Salt Lake City their home and build community through self-reliance and trust. Details at womenofworld.org. Are your jet skiing days in the past? Do you have a boat that won't float? A scooter that quit scooting? How about a car or truck that just won't go? Our friends over at Cars, Inc. can turn your unwanted modes of transportation into a tax-deductible donation. No fees, no hassle, and you get to help power your community radio station. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for details on donating. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm community co-host Rashawn Leak. And with me today, we have Nubia Pena, who is the Senior Advisor on Equity and Opportunity and Director of the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs. And I'm going to tell you right now, y'all, listen, this is a mouthful, uh, but I'm loving it. So Nubia, welcome to the program. How are you? So good, Rashawn. So good to connect with you. Excited to have the interview done with you. I know my sister Lara was the one that set it up. So sending her a lot of love and really thankful for you just making time to, to talk with me and hear a little bit about our work and what we're doing. I appreciate Well, I appreciate you spending time with us as well. And yeah, Laura is definitely the people's who takes care and makes sure the wheels of this show stay, stay greased and running. So without Laura, nothing is possible. So, all right. So director of the Utah Division of Multicultural Affair, what is that? Because, I mean, first of all, we all know it sounds amazing. But what is the nitty gritty of your, your job? Absolutely. So I got to tell you um, just a little bit about me. Before I came to the state, I was a defense attorney and I worked as a juvenile defender. My heart continues to be with the babies. And, um, you know, when I was approached to be the director for this division, it was an opportunity to really think about systems. Right. And so when I came and I met with the team, we did some strategy building and some vision mapping. And we started to ask the question of who are we and how do we serve the state? So we've developed three pillars. The first is youth leadership and civic engagement. We got to make sure that our 
our babies, right? Coming back to the, to our youth, right? Because they're the future. They're the ones we pass the mantle to. So we got to make sure that the youth, specifically those that are from historically underserved and underrepresented communities, they have access to opportunities that are exposing them to pathways to careers, pathways to success, that they see themselves in um, careers or potentially leadership roles that right now they just are not visible. So we're creating uh, constant engagement um, opportunities for the babies to engage in and making sure that they are connected to leaders, mentors, and people that are speaking life over them. So our first pillar, youth leadership and civic engagement. Our second, community outreach. We have to make sure that we're listening to the folks. We cannot be creating solutions without them. So it is uh, creating bridges to communities that historically have not trusted government and making sure that we are amplifying their voice, their needs, the gaps that they're experiencing to stakeholders and state leaders so that they know we have to do better, especially where the disparities exist. And then the third is training and professional development. So our third pillar really wants to make sure that within state government, we're not just talking about DEI. We lead, especially now in my new role out of the governor's office with EDIA. So equity, diversity, inclusion, and access. We lead with equity because it's about systems analysis. We can't can't just talk about diversity because that's a numbers game. We can hire folks, but unless we're actually changing and transforming the systems, the people will not stay. If the spaces we're bringing diverse folks, whether that be race, faith, gender, identity, if the spaces that they're coming into are hostile, we will lose that talent. So we have to make sure that we're looking at equity first, understanding what that means, and then looking to transform the system so that we can create spaces that are empowering for everyone. So training, babies, and community outreach. <laughs> that was a whole lot. <laughs> all right. I love it. All right. Okay, y'all. Okay, so first of all, you have your hands full because that is a lot on your plate. All right, so we know MLK Day was yesterday. And and everything you touch on, it feels like it is just compounding on what Dr. King would be about right now. I feel like if Dr. King was on this planet and in Utah, he would be working with your group right now. Am I far off in that belief? No, I receive that. We would be friends. We'd be having Sunday dinner as family. Like I would definitely be like, yes, Dr. Martin Luther King, help me, mentor me, inspire me so we can continue to do the work and elevate the voices of those who have been silenced. So yes, I absolutely believe that. And thank you for that. And speaking of MLK, um, one of the commissions that our division oversees is the Martin Luther King Human Rights Commission. And that board of individuals have been tasked to make sure we're, help, uh, we're helping people understand the legacy, the nonviolent principles, right? That, that they understand this was more than just a holiday. This is not a day off. This is a day on for service. This is a day on for community. This is a day on to make sure we are seeing each other's humanity and that we are falling in love with the loved community and the idea that together we can create a space where everyone feels safe, protected, and valued, which right now I know that it has been a hard few years. It has been hard, Rashawn, right? So I'm just grateful that MLK continues to remind us that there is hope and there is space for healing. Preach, preach, sister. <laughs> okay. So here we are. What are we? Two weeks. Oh, it says, yeah, two, we are two weeks into 2022. So can we talk about some of the hits and misses of, of how you guys have done as far as diversity, equity, inclusion in the Beehive State? How are we doing? How are we doing? You know, there was it was really interesting because, um, you know, I've been so grateful. So for folks that might not understand, I have technically two roles, right? So I'm the division director, but then I'm also the senior advisor to the governor. And that is an inaugural position. They have never had this in the administration before. I am the very first um, advisor on equity and opportunity. Two snaps in the air. Thank you very much. I'm with you, Rashawn. I am grateful for the elevation, but I got to tell you, I cannot be successful without our community partners. That is our legislators, our educators, our parents, our frontline uh, community-based organizations. My role is solely dependent on the partnerships of the people who are on the front lines. So I just want to say when I have a moment being on air or anywhere when I have a chance 
thank you to everyone who is lifting diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, belonging, all of those topics, we have to lift them together. So as it relates to Utah, there's a lot of great work that's being done. I'll talk a little bit about from our administration, the governor, when he came into office January 4th on his day of inauguration, he signed the compact, the Utah Compact on Racial um, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. And it is our commitment as an administration to make sure that we are advancing the value statements within a document that says we will see and acknowledge that racism exists. We will not continue to say that it is an individual problem, but we acknowledge that it is deeply systemic and institutionalized. We recognize that we have been creating policies for far too long without the influence and the recommendations or the collaborations of the people most affected by the policies that we create. Nothing about us without us. So as an administration, we're trying to make sure that we embed that within our principles and our policies. So the One Utah Roadmap, Section 5, I've been tasked to oversee it, and we have a commitment to diversify all of our boards and commissions, that we are making sure our appointments, our teams are representative of the state of Utah. We are also making sure that uh, we are upskilling and creating investment practices for communities that have been underserved, including women, people of color, people in rural Utah, folks from low socioeconomic households, um, people who identify as LGBTQIA+. What's exciting, uh, Rajan, is the fact that we've actually named it. We didn't just say underserved folks. We named it, we said Black, Indigenous, Pacific Islander, Asian, uh, Middle Eastern, right? Like we named it, we made sure that we acknowledged that it, you can't say people of color and then assume that a blanket statement is going to be enough. We have to see the disparities and the inequities from every single community. Rashawn, I could go on and on, but I know we have a break, so let me pause. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, everybody who's listening has heard me say multiple times that representation matters. And, and when you when you don't make a blanket statement, you know, and I and I've been victim of that, you know, saying BIPOC, but it 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 hits harder when you when your specific group is being called out because it's like, OK, they 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 recognize me. They see me. I'm here. They know I'm here. So with that being said, you touched on something earlier with a, a lot of our groups not not fully trusting. So how do you how do you bring them in? I mean, because we all know that. We've seen the we've seen the BLM movements and the marches. We've seen the coalitions. You know, there's a I don't want to say there's a lot not to trust because obviously, you know, it starts with conversations. But how do you bring everybody in to say, you know, things are changing? You know, the the government of yesterday is not the government of tomorrow. Right. That's a great question. And so, um, you know. One of the things I'm working on, and this is really my com my commitment to the community, to those that are listening, um, my commitment to the administration, is that I have to make sure that folks are understanding and learning about what our commitment looks like, how we are showing up to do the heavy and complicated work. And so I have to make sure that I am in those spaces. I can't wait for folks to come to us. That's the problem, right? We're always expecting people to come to our house. No, let me come to you. Let me come to your face spaces. Let me come to your weekly meetings. Let me go into the evening hours when you are connecting with folks, um, you know, as you're strategizing for moving forward. So my commitment through this year is that every Thursday is my community building outreach day. So if folks want to learn uh, and willing to invite me so that I can share a little bit about the things we're working on, then, you know, that's, that's really really where I want to strengthen those partnerships. And there's four key things that I want to work on in this year, and it's to develop, strengthen, inspire, and amplify develop capacity for equitable engagement within state government. So we have to make sure within our state agencies, we understand the difference between equality and equity. We know why accessibility has to be a part of our discussion and not just having ADA ramps, not just being able to have buildings that have access to elevators. Are we cognitively accessible? Are we linguistically accessible? Are we culturally and affirming um, in, in our approach, right? 
right? So moving beyond just translating brochures, but really understanding our community. So develop capacity for equitable engagement within state government, strengthen connections through relationships and community partnerships, right? Again, making sure that I am seeing folks that we have um, opportunities to bring their needs, their gaps, their concerns to the governor and to our state agency leaders, um, inspire systems change through leadership buy-in uh, buy and alignment across sectors. And what I mean by that is we've got a lot of folks doing really great things, but we also see a lot of fractures. We see a lot of folks just throwing things at the wall and hoping something sticks. There are some great best practices around EDIA. And so collaborating with the Center for Economic Inclusion and Belonging at EDC Utah, with UCHI, the Utah Systems of Higher Education, the University of Utah, and all the work that they're doing, making sure that we are connecting across sectors. So not only are we speaking the same language, but we have a shared vision about what an equitable and inclusive Utah looks like. So again, I want to go back to saying we cannot do this alone. It has to be collaborative. Um, and then the last one being amplify. So amplify one Utah success, progress, and commitment to EDIA efforts. Now, Rashawn, I do want to say we're not going to always get it right. We're most likely going to make people mad. There's going to be folks that say that we're not doing enough. There's going to be some folks that say we're doing too much. Um, and, you know, it's it's that that constant trying to find the balance of just making sure that we just keep showing up, right, that we keep doing this and that this isn't just a priority for this administration. But how do we find the way to make this so deeply embedded in the way we do business? So regardless if it's Governor Cox's administration, if it's me in this role, if it's any of the other folks that have been tapped in and we feel deeply privileged to serve and lead, but this is simply the way we do business. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, I, you know what? I got to get some more snaps. All right. So the Utah legislature, legislature is in session right now. And I, I would be remiss if I did not bring up what, what feels like one of the new hot button topics, and that's critical race theory. What what are what are your thoughts or advice for you know that you'd like to say to the governor lawmakers i mean because i i don't want to say that there's people out there that are like oh racism no longer exists but we just i mean within the last what week there was a bomb threat at the at the college at utah you know recently up north in davis county we had a young a young girl who took her own life because of you know peer pressure or or peers you know just going going at her and making her feel bad about being brown. I mean, how how do we get where where are we going? Like, you know, I oof. Oof, Rashawn, right? Like the weight of that question. Um, where are we going? My prayer, my hope is that as a community, um, we pause when we start to, especially when we start to think about policy, because policy dictates um it's not just the black letter law, right? It's not just Utah code. It's not just a bill. It's the way that people will be governed in the state of Utah. There's weight there. And so what I was grateful for during this last special session um, and people wanted to advance critical race theory during the agenda. And the governor said, you know, we're not going to. Now they were able to do it through resolution, but no bills were advanced. But the governor said, we cannot create policy when we are afraid, but haven't fully researched or understood a subject, right? It is bad governance to create laws out of fear or out of rage or, right? Like, let us pause and let us think about the deep impact that this will have on our communities. And I've been grateful because the governor and the lieutenant governor really want to build strong relationships with our legislators and our legislators are receptive and willing to do that. So we're coming to the table more. We're having discussions. Um, again, it's still going to be a political cycle. And so our hope is that folks get engaged, get involved, know what the laws are, show up to testify, reach out to your legislators, um, because when these conversations come up, we have to make sure it's not just one community that's being heard, right? All Utahns have the right. That's, that's the beauty of the democratic process is that all people have a right to 
be heard. But a lot of our communities oftentimes feel, well, what's the point? They won't listen to me. And that we saw that over the last few elections, when there is when there are people who are united and who come together, that is what MLK stood for, collective action, right? So our hope is, again, let us have dialogue that is rooted in compassion. Let us have conversations that are acknowledging each other's humanities. And let us be willing to hear each other so that together we can create the solutions that are going to help move us all forward. Ooh, Rashawn is going to be heavy, but my prayer is people see each other. Absolutely. That we, we spend time with one another and we redefine what community means. So we're truly embodying what MLK stood for, which is a beloved community where we all belong. And no one is left behind. No one. No one. Yes. Right. yes. Well, let's let's keep going with Dr. King. So in your in your bio, you talk about the importance of servant leadership. Hmm. How has Dr. King inspired you in your life work or the work you're doing now as senior advisor on equity and opportunity to Governor Spencer Cox? Yes, thank you so very much, Rashawn. So um, I'm going to I'll get a little vulnerable for a moment and then just pause on being in my official role. Um, and I'll just share with you that I am deeply committed to my faith. My faith dictates um, my path. It is part of my calling. Um, I truly believe that you know, in every opportunity I've had, whether it was a defense attorney, whether it was as a victim advocate working with survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, um, with the families and survivors of homicides, um, whatever role I've had, I truly believe each of us have the capacity and ability to do good and to be of service and to leave this world better than we found it. And so how it's inspired my role, it's just, I know that I represent in this capacity, and I even had a, a great conversation with our senior leadership team this week, um, this past week, I'm sorry, where you know, I, I curated a training where we talked about the status of girls and women in Utah. And, um, you know, we have the best economy, we have the best opportunities for upward mobility, but we are the worst state for women to exist as it relates to equality and leadership. Uh, and well-being, our numbers for domestic violence and sexual assault, we are higher than New York, D.C., California. Uh, we are one out of every three women will experience a, a domestic assault or a sexual abuse incident in their lifetime. So those numbers tell us that there we can be doing better. We can be doing more. And so I told our, our senior leadership team, I recognize that in my role as senior advisor of equity and opportunity, my role is to bring up the issues that will make us all deeply uncomfortable. My role is to look at the inequities. My role is to look at the areas of opportunities. And what I'm so thankful for is that the administration has backed me and has supported me and has supported the work. And Governor Cox, during one of our meetings um, with legislative leadership, you know, he talked about how, yes, we're doing great in these other areas. But in order for us to truly be a state where we recognize and serve everyone, we have to look under the hood and we have to ask ourselves, why is it that certain zip codes and certain households can't access that same narrative of success? And so servant leadership for me is embodied in how we show up every day to make sure that we recognize we have deep privilege in being able to say, I am in this role for however long I'm in, and I have the opportunity to do good. And our role is to do better for everyone that hasn't been included in our narrative of success. So again, long answer to you, Rajam. I know, no, that's <laughs> spot on. All right. So, so from a glass is half empty to half full, mm -hmm. what would you like folks to know here as we celebrate and honor Dr. King's legacy? Mm. Well, you know, my, my hope is, is for everyone listening and for everyone that has an opportunity to have tabletop conversation with folks that they love and folks that they're building relationships with is um, remember the principles, but remember the legacy and remember the dream. Remember that he invited us to think about a world where we could exist and love each other and be treated with fairness, to have justice, be embodied in all forms of institutional engagement, 
and freedom to be accessible, right? Freedom of um, oppression, freedom of harm, freedom of violence. Um, And so I pray that as we're celebrating the holiday and as people are thinking about what can we do, um, you know, treat this not as a day off, but as a day on. Treat this as an opportunity for us to say, um, with this day that I have, I will do my part to impact my community and to make sure that the person that I engage with whether it's someone new or someone in my community, um, that they see that I'm striving every day to show up with goodness and light and to bless others and to be a blessing for all that I connect with. So be good, be light, show love. And as Cornell West says, um, justice is what love looks like in public. So let's do that. Let's, let's show love in public. That's right. Let your light shine, people. Y'all listening? <laughs> All right. And you said it. Let's let's end here. Well, in when in, in this MLK Day is you already said it. It's it's not a day off. It's a day of service. And there's a, I know the governor has a Spirit of Service Award, <laughs> and they're accepting nominations. So so who are you looking for, and how can our listeners nominate somebody? Oh goodness, yes! Please go to the governor's website so that you can nominate someone. I do also want to invite folks to visit our website where we have a bunch of um, events that are happening on MLK Day. If you want to go to a march, if you want to listen in on a speech, if you want to, you know, make sure that you get plugged in. If you want to invite families and friends to also participate in the day. Um, but if you know of someone that has been showing up for Utah, leading in service, selflessly wanting to love people, um, then please nominate them, right? And so when you're saying, Rashawn, um, who who do I look to? I, I look to Utah, right? I want every single <laughs> Utah to be like, I want to be nominated. I want to show the world that I'm giving a service. And yes, thank you so much um, for reminding me in the chat that it, they're due March 4th, right? And so you've got a little bit of time to think about it, but look for it. Look for those individuals that are using their mouth, their hands, their feet, um, their souls, their hearts to, to do good and to serve others. Um, and let us embody that every single day so nubia i i know you you know one of the things that you do let me pull up your 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 bio here i know one of the things you talk about is how you were how you are not a, not a prosecutor but a, a defense attorney for for our youth our youngins and what like how are we stopping them mm-hmm. from getting disenfranchised because i know you know the the more you know from you know from the last the previous election and things like that you keep hearing like why do i even need to vote why does my vote even matter and and I know they're they're talking about presidential elections, but my fear is it has the ability to trickle down into local elections and local elections are so important. So how do we keep engaging our youth? I love that question so much. As I mentioned, the babies continue to have my heart. And so whenever there's an opportunity to amplify their voice, I think it's critical. We cannot discount them. You know, we try to come up with solutions, but have we paused to ask them the impacts, you know, for them? How, how do they feel? How have they lived through uh, certain situations? And again, really grateful that Governor Cox and Lieutenant Governor Henderson, as well as the First Lady, Abby Cox, they're making room for these difficult conversations. We recently had an opportunity in partnership with Jennifer Napier Pierce, who is our communications director, um, you know, and and Brittany Cummins, who's our education advisor, as well as um, Addie and Rosina on the governor's team. We curated an experience where the governor the Lieutenant Governor and the First Lady got to hear from the babies firsthand what racism, discrimination, and bullying feels like in their schools. And they were from across the entire state. Um, they focused on not only race, but also gender identity. Uh, they brought up, you know, um, the, their Muslim faith and being targeted for that, right? So we made sure it was an intersectional discussion. And my goodness, they were brilliant. And it was powerful. And it was a private conversation. We didn't want their stories exploited by anyone. It was just for them to be heard. But we also wanted to make sure this wasn't just a conversation because the babies sometimes can also feel really tired because they're like, we tell you what's wrong. We tell you what's wrong. And what are you going to do about it? Well, I was so grateful that that the governor closed by letting them know that their stories were going to help inform our future policies, Mm. us being able to be proximate to them, to their pain, to their joy, to their struggles, allowed us to recognize when critical race theory comes up, or when certain bills that politicize their identity come up, 
We will remember their voice and we will center them. And so again, there's a lot of courage that our babies have in being able to say, this is what I lived through. And we need to make sure we're making room and empowering them to be heard and to be given compassion. We might not understand, but our role isn't always to necessarily know the answer. It's to make space to create those solutions together and to give empathy, love, and compassion as we do that. So again, grateful that the babies, their voice, they're being centered, they're being amplified, and they're being included in our discussions for where we move forward mm. and you 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 took the word right out of it it was i was all i kept thinking was how empowering to be in that room as a young adult and have the governor let you know that this is going your message your story is going to help to influence policy i love it nubia thank you so much for spending time i appreciate having you on the show and we're definitely going to have to have you come back. I would love that, Rashawn. Thank you so very much. And I have to tell you, we got along so well because you're from the East Coast. I'm from Philly. So FYI. Oh, okay. We, we, oh, we're- all right. <laughs> Jersey boy in the house. Philly, Philly over here. So thank you, Rashawn. It was a pleasure and look forward to doing this again. That's Nubia Pena, Senior Advisor on Equity and Opportunity to Utah Governor Spencer Cox and Director of the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the division. The MLK Junior Human Rights Campaign in the nomination form for the Spirit of Service Awards. Nominations are due March 4th, y'all, so get in there. I'm Rashawn Leak, and that's our show. My thanks to all of our guests and you for listening. Hopefully you heard something that gets you involved, engaged, and ready to take care of your community. If you do, tell us about it. Email me at radioactive at krcl.org. Till next week, take care and let your light shine.